At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare the biggest games of the football season are coming and bet rivers is introducing new parlay features just in time for the playoff push for your next bet try a new multi-game parlay and combine bets across games to make your perfect combo combine player props game bets and even different same game parlays into one multi-game parlay make your parlay today at bet rivers download the bet rivers app or go to betrivers.com to place your bet this is the Los Angeles CityCast with Danielle Alvari, presented by Bet Rivers. Welcome in to your Friday edition of the Los Angeles CityCast, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. I'm your host, Danielle Alvari. Excited to report that we did have some college basketball finally back in action, but no fans were allowed. What else is new? Uh, it actually is new that a lot of College teams are not uh, letting people come watch the games, at least as it pertains to the state of California. So UCLA basketball back in action on Thursday night, kind of last minute, you know, spur of the moment. They decided to play Long Beach State again. Uh, these two teams you may remember played at the start of the season. I believe it was Long Beach State's second game of the season, UCLA's third. Uh, final score was 100-79 to UCLA. I tried to get cute with this game because I thought the total was a little too high. And this went so far over the total. Uh, 179, I think the total for this game was around 150. And I thought that is very high for a college basketball game. And UCLA's defense is going to be so good this year. And we're three games into the season. I'm too excited. So... <laughs> Tried to get cute with that one. It did not work out. Um, I did not bet uh, the game tonight uh, because, frankly, it's been chaotic keeping up with who's going where and when and are they actually going to play. But that said, uh, UCLA did win again, 96-78. to Good to get another game under their belt after that long, long hiatus. Um, I mentioned this on a different show I was on earlier today, but if you may have seen this on Twitter as well, Mick Cronin talked about practice this week and said that you know, they were running sprints and players were throwing up in trash cans. And I just think that stands out because <laughs> that just tells you, I think it's a, you know, it's a metaphor for how we all feel right now. And also, uh, it's good to know that UCLA is at least getting back in the swing of things. That's what we'd like to see because we want to see another really great run in the tournament eventually, which if you can believe it's freaking January now is so close. We hope, we hope we get to see a March Madness. My goodness, please don't take March Madness from us. That was the worst. When... The pandemic first happened and everything shut down and we lost March Madness. Oh, it felt like that was going to be the worst thing that ever happened. Um, and then <clears throat> the rest of the pandemic happened. But nevertheless, basketball is back. UCLA is back in the groove. And I think that score is so funny too. 96 to 78. The other one was 100 to 79. It virtually looks like the same game was played. <laughs> 
Um, and USC, let's talk about USC because they're undefeated right now. They just improved to 13-0. They played at Cal in Berkeley on Thursday night, and they won 77-63. to Hey, USC defense, come through. I knew Cal was going to have trouble with you. And they covered as six-point favorites. I actually talked to Will Hill, host of the New York City cast, before this game. We were texting, and he said, you like Cal? And I said, no, I like USC. <laughs> and then I said, but six is a lot. I don't want to lay six. And look at, look at USC. Look at me not wanting to bet on undefeated USC. Can't imagine why. But go USC, 13 or no. Good for them. Uh, can't wait till they play the Bruins. Hopefully we get to see that soon. In today's show... We're going to preview 49ers at the Rams and Chargers at Raiders with all of the playoff implications on the line, but I'm going to bring in someone to do it with me. VEASAN's very own Adam Burke. You can catch him on the Los Angeles Times from time to time as well. Um, so if you see his name in there, just be like, oh, I know that guy. He's from the Los Angeles CityCast. Uh, then we're going to move on to the NBA Hawks at Lakers on Friday and the Clippers played the Suns on Thursday. We'll talk about that really quick as well, but... First things first, we always check out the Los Angeles lines available at Bet River Sportsbook. So, NFL Week 18, hi there, uh, in games that actually matter for these LA teams, more or less. 49ers at Rams. Rams now have four and a half point favorite, total sitting at 44 and a half. Chargers, three point favorite on the road at the Raiders. Total sitting at 49 and a half. NBA, I just mentioned it. Hawks at Lakers. Lakers are a two and a half point favorite on Bet Rivers right now. Total sitting at 225 and a half. You can find all these odds at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Now let's welcome in Adam Berg, VEASAN sports betting analyst. See his name in Los Angeles Times as well. You may see him there. So I had to bring him back in. So excited to have you back on, Adam. And you can find him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Adam, how was your holiday? It was good. How was yours? It was, you know, we got through it. We, we talked about this <laughs> before we started recording. You know, it, it was the holidays were a time for me to get through this year. They weren't like <laughs> super celebratory. And right. that also goes for my betting as well. Yeah, you know, the early part of bowl season was really rough for me and things got a little bit stronger towards the end. But this was also my, my first Christmas away from the family, having moved out here to Vegas to be with Visa. And so uh, my wife and I actually spent Christmas and New Year's down on the Strip. So... A little bit different, wow. I guess. Adam, remind me, where are you from? Family. Cleveland. Cleveland. Okay, so first time in Vegas. But the lights, the lights of Vegas, it's pretty out. Yeah, it, it always feels like Christmas on the Strip with all the lights. So That's true. It, you know, it was it was different. I, you know, to be completely honest with you, I was really surprised how crowded the Strip was on Christmas. Like, really? Like, it was insane. A lot, a lot of families, seems like maybe a lot of I would expect a, a that on, like, people. New Year's. Right. Did they do, I like, fireworks? Too. Was it... Yeah, they did fireworks. Um, yeah. It was funny because it was super windy on New Year's Eve. And they kept saying, if the winds are over 10 miles per hour, then we're not doing fireworks or they'll be delayed. The The marquees, the hotel signs were showing, you know, hey, fireworks may be delayed. It was like 40 mile per hour winds and they blew them off right at midnight anyway. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's a, you know, of all the cities you could be stuck in, let's say, away from family, not a terrible one, right? No, no, nothing closes. So at least we were able to go, you know, get a nice dinner and all that. Yeah, I know. That was a huge difference for me when I lived in Vegas versus when I lived in Wyoming. My first year out of college is in Wyoming. Everything closed at, what, eight? So I was really just SOL. But in Vegas, everything was open. So that was nice. You always find really good food. I want to talk about another city, too, before we get into these L.A. football teams. New York, 
New York sports betting, hoping to go live by Super Bowl instead, launching this weekend in time for the national championship, NFL playoffs. It's going to be a huge, huge online betting market. We know 20 million, the population here. That's 29 states down, 21 to go. Adam, what's wrong with these other 21 states? What's going on? They got to catch Yeah, up. I don't know. I mean, at least Ohio's getting it going here finally. I, I've never understood it. You know, Ohio didn't even get its first casino, uh, first full-fledged casino until 2011. And I would go, mm-hmm. you know, go play poker in West Virginia or something like that. And it would be two-thirds of the cars in the parking lot would be Ohio plates. And, and I would just wow. be like, why are we letting all this tax money leave the state? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with these states. But a few things that will be really interesting about New York, obviously the first is – you know, you've got this major, enormous metropolitan area. How quickly does this betting handle rise in New York, specifically in New York City? Secondarily, how does that affect New Jersey, where a lot yes. of people just go from New York City over to New Jersey? New Jersey winds up with, you know, a couple of billion dollar handles here. How much does that impact them? And then lastly, you know, the something that probably isn't talked about enough and should be the massive tax rate on the sports books. Yeah, especially in New York. In New York. You know, that so that to me, are they going to be able to survive giving minus 110 to the betters that are out there because they have to give so much of it to the state? Do we see some increased VIG coming out of New York State? That'll be something I think would be really interesting to watch, too. Yeah, that's such a good point, too. I mean, people who are new, the vigorish, the juice, that's the money that the sportsbook needs, obviously, to keep running, obviously. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if you're going to get, get like those higher juice values in those kind of states because I do wonder what's going to happen with that New York, New Jersey, New York thing and see if that's actually going to affect or take business away from each other. So that's a really good point. Um, but either way, I'm just excited that more states are getting on board because obviously still in California, not so much. But nevertheless, we persist. We find ways. Um, and we have lots of really good teams to talk about. So let's talk about the Rams first. 49ers at the Rams. Right off the bat, when I hear that, if you're giving me points with the 49ers, I want to be on the 49ers side. Just history-based, right? Uh, but right now, the Rams, I believe, four-and-a-half-point favorites, 44 or so, sitting for the total. Uh, 49ers obviously coming off of that win versus the Texans last week, 23-7. to Nothing to write home about. They did have Trey Lance in. We don't know who's going to go for the 49ers this week. Jimmy Garoppolo's been in at practice two consecutive days so far. They talked to him Wednesday. They said, how's your thumb feeling? He said, it hurts. It hurts bad to throw with it, but he's been practicing. So for me, that's a huge question mark. Who are we going to get there? And then obviously on the other side, great to have Matt Stafford. Love that arm, but uh, not when it goes to the wrong players, right? So what is your kind of read on this game? Yeah, as you mentioned, I got bylines in the LA Times, you know, by virtue of writing for VEASAN. And I sent over my game thoughts here today uh, over Mm. to the editors. So uh, this one's fresh in my mind to be sure. And look, you know, I agree with what you said pretty much right off the top, that if I'm getting points with the 49ers here in a game that I expect to be very competitive, because it means a lot to both teams. Obviously, the 49ers control their own destiny. If they win, they're in. They can back in if the Falcons are able to beat the Saints, but that's not something that they want to rely on. The Rams playing for a division title, playing for that number two seed, but also, too, if the Rams win this game and the Saints hold up, you know, then you wind up playing the Saints as opposed to playing the Eagles. So that's a situation to me where I think that's very beneficial for the Rams. I'd much rather play the Saints. I think Philadelphia is relatively dangerous. I think that the Saints are very docile. I don't think they're a team that you worry about at all whatsoever here in the postseason. So instead of for both of these teams, and because they're both going to play hard, I do expect that close, maybe lower scoring game here where if you're giving me four and a half at the 49ers, that's the side I'll be interested in. But what I think is interesting, Danielle, is when you look back at the first game, which San Francisco won 31-10, to 
The Rams were a three-and-a-half-point road favorite in that game. Now they're only a four-and-a-half-point home favorite, where this number mm-hmm. opened primarily six, got bet down to four-and-a-half. The 49ers are the best eight-and-seven team in the NFL, one of the best eight-and-seven teams we've seen uh, in a long time here because they're well, nine-and-seven now, I guess, but because they're a team that grades really well from an advanced metrics standpoint – but it hasn't necessarily shown up in their results. So I don't think this line move is an indictment of the Rams. I don't think it's being against the Rams. I think it's just more of a play on San Francisco, who's better than their record suggests. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Earlier this week when I first saw this line open, I said, well, that's going to be on the move immediately because people are going to be all over the 49ers on this. And it makes sense. Um, And when you look at these two defenses, I know you mentioned also could see a low scoring game. That's something that was more interesting to me than trying to figure out which four and a half I wanted. I mean, if I had to, if my hand was forced, I would go 49ers just because I would rather have the points. I think it's going to be a close game. Um, Side note on that, a trend on this that, I, you know, trends don't predict anything, but just kind of interesting. It goes back couple seasons obviously by doing this but the underdog is 5 and 0 ATS in their last 5 games and the unders 4 and 1 so again not predictive of what's going to happen but this is a really hard matchup to predict even for the books it seems so um, I think that you really need to be aware of the fact that this 49ers Rams game is going to be very close and in that regard is probably going to be a little bit lower scoring with these two defenses because the 49ers are better than their record suggests, like you said. I was taking a look at their defense, and it looks middle of the pack. It's top 15 in a lot of ways. But then when you look at the games specifically that were like the bigger games against the more tough teams, that's when the 49ers kind of shined. And they showed that even though they haven't lived up to expectations, let's say, they're a lot better than their record suggests. So I'm completely on board with that, and I see why everybody wanted to grab these points early. Do you think now we've kind of missed a good number on the 49ers with this 4.5? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, especially when you're talking about a low-scoring game, you certainly want to get as many points as you possibly can. But the one thing I think is kind of intriguing about Matt Stafford specifically, and we saw this play out last week. I mean, he was awful Mm -hmm. in the first half of that game against Baltimore. He was terrible. In the second half, he was 14 of 14 for 162 yards and a touchdown. And he's actually, by quarterback rating, the best quarterback in the NFL in the second half this year. So, to me, it's one of those situations where maybe you want 49ers first half or you could take that plus four and a half with the 49ers, expect them to be winning, get a better price on the Rams sometime in the first half of this game. Because ultimately, I think the Rams win the game. But I could very easily see it being a you know three-point game, four-point game, something like that, where maybe they have to come from behind to do it. So that's something that you may want to watch, not only with the Rams this week, but also in the playoffs, where they've struggled as a first-half team, particularly as a first-quarter team. But Stafford's been very dynamic after halftime. Well, that's really interesting because what's the stat that we always hear about Sean McVay in second halves, right? Like that he's pretty much, he's undefeated when they're ahead at the half, but he really struggles when they're not. And this last game you're talking about where they came back, that was actually just the seventh time I think ever that McVay's coaching time that they've been able to come back from a a first half deficit. So that's actually not really what we kind of know this Rams team for. So it's interesting to consider. It's almost like for me, if you were going to play the 49ers to win the first half, I would be scared for the Rams to win the second half because they haven't been consistent in being able to do that. But now knowing Matt Stafford, kind of a second half quarterback, I think we even saw that with him in his time with the Lions. So that is interesting, kind of an interesting angle to play as well, because I wouldn't normally think to look for the 49ers in the first half. Yeah, I mean, look, I you know, I think it makes sense, especially given the recent history for Stafford. And, and keep in mind, too, and obviously you know this, but I want to make sure you mention it for the listeners, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of McVay's sample size comes with Jared Goff. And 
<laughs> I know that people were on Twitter last week of, you know, calling st- Stafford, referring to him as Matthew Goff, or they just got a more expensive Jared Goff. Yeah. Look, Stafford's made some bad Very plays creative, this year. Guys. He's also thrown 38 touchdown passes. He's had a season yeah. that Jared Goff could only dream of for the most part. I'm, I think I think we're just being kind of overly you. critical about him. Yeah. No, I'm completely with you. I think that Stafford's been great, and I think that these interceptions are just this huge thing, like just huge Paul that's hanging over his head right now. And also we haven't really seen him as a playoff quarterback really ever, right? What does he play three playoff games? So how do you think he's going to fare in that regard? Because people think that he's just not capable of doing that. But I just think that he hasn't had the opportunity and been on the right team. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, he's got Cooper cup who could very well win the offensive player of the year at, at a minimum, he's kind of rewriting the record books as a wide receiver this year. Cam Akers coming back could be a big deal for the Rams, too. Gives them another dimension offensively, gives him another safety valve in the passing game. You know, maybe something that kind of helps offset the loss of Robert Woods that they've been dealing with for such a long time. You know, maybe Akers becomes that guy who's sort of a possession back out of the backfield where, you know, Odell's catching touchdown passes. Van Jefferson has his moments. It's primarily on Cooper Cup. Maybe Akers is another guy who kind of makes a little bit of an impact, maybe not Sunday, but maybe going forward in the playoffs here could be a trusted guy for Stafford where you can get some of those easy throws, turn some of those tosses into double and triple coverage into safe four, five, six yard gains, stay on schedule, stay ahead of the chains, could end up being a really, really big kind of underrated addition for this Rams team in the postseason. Absolutely. I, I was on earlier with on My Guys in the Desert with Stormy Bonatoni, and she asked me about this game, and I said, well, this Rams offense has been kind of clunky at times. We saw that period where they kind of fell apart. They lost Robert Woods, but then they brought OBJ in, and then now Daryl Henderson's out, but Sony Michelle's been taking off, and Cam Akers back in, so it's been a lot of revolving door on that offense, and I think once it kind of gets humming again, they have all the pieces they need. They have the coach. They have the quarterback. They have all these things they need to be a championship-winning team. So, I mean, you talk about OBJ, too, by the way, who saved that game for them last week. I mean, he scored a touchdown in five of his last six games. Now, he's not getting a ton of yards. He's not getting a lot of touches, but he's going to be there for those moments where you need him. That's kind of a veteran role for him. Um, So I'm excited to see what keeps happening with this. I am interested to see uh, what the Cooper Cup discussion is going to be. You brought up Offensive Player of the Year because I don't know why I lean Jonathan Taylor in this. What What do you think? Yeah, I lead Jonathan Taylor here in this, too. And yeah. I talked about this last night in the look ahead. Just with more Scott valuable Seidberg. to his team, maybe? I, I think what it boils down to is a running back kind of looks like a one-man show and a wide receiver is a two-man show because a wide receiver can't put up numbers unless the quarterback gets him the football. And, you know, people are going to forget that it's really a phenomenal offensive line in Indianapolis that has helped Jonathan Taylor out quite a bit. But I think it's just mm-hmm. sort of the perception of the position where, you know, Cooper Cup, people are going to go, well, yeah, he's also got Matthew Stafford thrown to him, who's a pretty good quarterback. So I think Taylor probably does win it. I think Cup may be more deserving, you could make the argument. Uh, But, yeah, I kind of tend to lean toward Taylor, too. Yeah. All right. Well, before we move on to the Chargers, I just want to wrap up this game a little bit, too. We we touched on this briefly, but if Jimmy Garoppolo is in, how is that going to affect this line, you think, versus if we see Trey Lance is going to be playing? That's a really good question because we we know that Garoppolo is well below 100%. And -hmm. I feel like if you're a 49ers backer, even though Trey Lance is a great unknown, and he did have some rookie moments last week in that game against the Texans, as you would expect, at least he's healthy. You know, I mean, we know Garoppolo's not. And there's a very good chance that Garoppolo, you know, maybe the hand leads to a pick or two, you know. So 
to me, I'd probably rather have Trey Lance out there, but you mm. know, if Garoppolo is going to give it a go, then you know, I mean, you want you, the you rookie quarterback to have to face Von Miller and Aaron Donald, and just good luck. I mean, at least he's not a sitting. <laughs> at least he's not a sitting duck back there like Garoppolo probably is. That's true. Is. That's true. He's mobile. That's but, true. That's true. That's I, a good is, Trey Lance point. a good point. question. It, well, and and maybe that's what we need to kind of look at in terms of this line move. Where, yeah, I think there's some respect for San Francisco out there, but also. Did this move down under the assumption that Garoppolo comes back? And is that an indicator of the difference between Garoppolo and Lance, at least from a betting market standpoint? So I think that's something that we'll, we'll kind of have to figure out as we get, you know, maybe more clarity tomorrow. Yeah, that's the thing that's prevented me from making a bet on this yet. I saw some people, I mean, I think Danny Burke, the host of the uh, Chicago City Cast, actually put out that he had a teaser on this. So he, you know, teased San Francisco up to 10 and a half. Got it through the seven, got it through the 10. Do you think that's something interesting to look at possibly? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like you and I talked about already, I think this probably is a lower scoring game, whether it is Garoppolo mm -hmm. or Lance. And to that point, I know we talk all the time about Wong teasers and going through three and seven yeah. and, and everything like that. There are so many different numbers that matter in the NFL now with two point conversions and fourth down attempts and the extra point move back to where if it's going to be a low scoring game, going through, you know, six, seven and 10, is, I think, you know, pretty valuable at this point yeah. in time. So I don't think that's a bad play at all. No, that was that was my favorite way to play it so far. But I just, I kind of want to know what the quarterback situation is going to be. Uh, and maybe there's an underplay to be made here. We'll see. Um, I also want to talk about the Chargers game, of course. There's, you could argue a bigger, a bigger uh, game because there's a lot more going on. They flex us to Sunday night. Um, it's going to be a big deal on both sides here for the Raiders and the Chargers. I don't know if I said that last time. I might have said Broncos because that's who they just played. But what I meant was the Chargers are going to be at the Raiders here. Um, and the Chargers haven't officially clinched a playoff spot for them here. They need to win to get into that wild card position. The Raiders need to win to get into playoffs here. Um, what's kind of your initial read on this game so far? My initial read so far is this is a very hard game to bet because I yeah. don't really trust either team. You know, I mean, what the Raiders have done here to put themselves in playoff position has been impressive, but also they beat Nick Mullins, and they, they probably should have lost that game, frankly. <laughs> uh, they beat Drew Locke and the Broncos, who the Chargers also just beat, as you mentioned. And last week, very gutsy win over the Colts. I give them a ton of credit for that one. That's a, a really significant win for them. On the flip side, the Chargers, as I said, they just, you know, beat the Texans, or uh, excuse me, they lost to the Texans. They beat mm. the Broncos, who are, you know, a very one-dimensional team. They're only good on defense, and, and that's pretty much it. They had that close loss to the Chiefs prior to the Texans' loss. I, I don't know which team to trust here. And this Chargers team is different from Chargers teams in the past, and they've got Brandon Staley. They don't have Anthony Lynn or Ken Wisenhunt or some of the other guys. But also, when have we ever put ourselves in a position to trust the Los Angeles Chargers and gotten rewarded for it. I mean, this is Couldn't a team that me. just always no. <laughs> finds a way to mess something up. So And it's never what you expect, right? Right. Like it's never like like we all know the rush defense is bad, but then something else will be off. And and to be fair to their credit, they do have their whole secondary back now. They have nobody on the COVID list. That's huge for this Chargers team. Last week they got Joey Bosa back. They had Corey Lindsley back. He went out. That is going to be an issue for them, I think. Lindsley out is actually going to really affect this rush attack for the Chargers. Um, but they are healthier than they've been. Their secondary is back. But that said, they always find a way to mess it up, and it's not in the way that necessarily you would expect. 
Right. No, exactly. And, you know, I was looking back at the first game between these two teams, and, and it was so long ago that I, I'm not sure how relevant it is. I think it was in early November when these two teams played. And the Chargers won 28-14. to 14, And, look, Week I mean, the Raiders four. had 18 carries for 48 yards. I mean, they were about the only team that seemed to struggle running the football against the Chargers. So that's something yeah. that they will have to correct in this game. I think it is a very important point for them to make. They have to run the football effectively. I know they'll probably get Darren Waller back, and he'll be yeah. beneficial. And, and Hunter Renfro's been you know, outstanding in the second yeah. half of the season here. But I think they need to run the football also to help them kind of keep Justin Herbert on the sideline. Really, really tough game because I, I could see a wide range of outcomes for this one. I guess the one thing I would say here, Danielle, is – Maybe you just take a look at the under, just given the stakes that are in this game where neither one of these coaches are going to want to put these quarterbacks in positions to fail. I think we'll probably see fairly vanilla game plans from both teams. We'll see a lot of attention really? to detail on defense. You're the you're the Brandon you're the Brandon Staley like kind of stand though, and you don't think he's going to be a little spicy with some fourth uh, fourth down calls? I, I think it's certainly a possibility, but also too, you know, I mean, th there's a if he wants to listen to his model then that's fine. I mean, it's what you've done yeah. to get to this point. But also, I, like I feel like in a game of this magnitude, you take the points when you can, you know? So I feel like maybe it's a situation where Staley does end up trying some more field goals, maybe isn't as aggressive with some of those fourth down decisions, maybe does play the field position game a little bit more. Because also, too, I mean, he's a first-year head coach who, you know, he's under the bright lights for the first time in one of these winner-go-home, you know, playoff type of atmospheres. So... I, I kind of wonder if maybe he you know, sort of shies away from that aggressive style that he's had throughout the course of the year. Interesting. I, I mean, I think I, I would be surprised to see that if that's what he ends up doing, because we just we have no evidence of him doing that so far this season, but obviously different stakes this week. Um, and I am surprised to see this total at 49 and a half. When you were talking about that, I was like, where's that number at now? Maybe I do want to bet it under. I like this under even better than the Rams 49ers under, obviously, because first of all, the number is higher. Second of all, I think the Chargers are going to have trouble running the ball, even as well as Eckler's been doing since he came back. Um, because I also think the Raiders, one area that they've been successful is kind of against that rush offense. So um, I'm not really sure. The Raiders haven't been scoring a lot of points. How are they going to be scoring points? I guess if you run it right through the Chargers, but they didn't do that last time. Now, again, asterisk, that was week four. That was a long time ago. Those teams looked very different. Um, and now it seems like everybody's kind of figured out the Chargers' weaknesses. But I'm not really sure how a lot of points are going to be scored here, except for Justin Herbert. He had three touchdowns, I believe, in that week four game. He's going to do his thing. We know that. But going over 49 and a half might be a big ass. So I do think that the best play right now might be the under. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, look, the Chargers, even with Herbert having the three touchdown passes, they only had 5.1 yards per play in that first meeting, and the Raiders only had 3.8. So both of these mm -hmm. offenses struggled. Maybe you do see some differences here. The, the one thing about the Raiders, and, and you just mentioned this, they're not scoring a lot of points, and a big reason mm -hmm. why is because in the second half of the year, or virtually since John Gruden was let go, resigned, fired, whatever we want to call it here, Say they've lovey. struggled in the red zone. They've had big-time issues in the red zone, and that's where you miss a creative play caller like John Gruden. So mm -hmm. it's a spot to me where you know the Raiders may get into, into the scoring areas and wind up with three instead of seven. Maybe that kind of pushes me to a lean on the Chargers, but like you, I think the under is the better play here. And here, here's what I'll say as well. In that week four matchup, I wasn't ready to trust the Chargers. Uh, 
at all. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be a close game, you know, divisional kind of crazy matchup. I'm going to take the points with the Raiders. And the Chargers cleaned up, no problem, came in, did their job. Um, and like you said, the things that were successful for them that I think if they can repeat again is going to get this win for them is limiting those rushing yards. They held them to those 48 net rushing yards and they won time of possession. They didn't even give the Raiders a chance to score. The Raiders are already not scoring well. They don't even need help with that. Um, and then if they can, you know, also get Austin Eckler going, I'm interested to see how it's going to look without Lindsley out there. Um, we saw a little bit of that last week, but I think if they can basically do all those things they did in week four, which you know, this Chargers team's capable of doing, why, why can't the Chargers cover this three? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with anything that you Not said Not that I want to make, it, but... It, right. It, it's just, it's one of those things, too, where, I mean, there, there's a mental block to taking the Chargers and, <laughs> and having expectations for them in a game that really matters. The last point I, I think we can make on this game is, it, whichever team wins this game and goes to the playoffs, or if we get that ridiculous tie scenario where both of them end up going to the playoffs if, if the Colts lose to the Jaguars, which isn't going to happen, um, <laughs> I will probably fade either one of these teams in, in that first playoff oh, yeah. game. I think Absolutely. That, you know these two teams. There's a reason why this is a must-win play-in game. That's because neither one of these teams is very good. So I think you definitely yeah. want to fade them in that in that wild card round for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the only thing I would say is I do think the Chargers are good. They're just not consistent. They're streaky right. as heck, and they've been gaslighting me all season, basically. I don't trust them. Uh, Justin Herbert looks at me and goes, no, no, I got this. Don't worry. I know what I'm doing, but then the defense lets me down. So it's just not a trustworthy spot for either of these teams. I don't trust that the Raiders are going to continue their recent form, and I don't trust that the Chargers are going to do what they're very capable of doing, which I believe they're capable of covering this three. I'd rather look at the under here, so I agree with you, and I, I fade them in the next round for sure. Yeah, it's the only thing I could really think of. But you know what? I, I will say this. I mean, a lot of people are going to be very invested in this game, being that late game, being that chase game where, you know, if you had a bad week 18 Sunday, you're going to try to get it back. I would just caution people, you know, maybe this is a game with a lot of live betting opportunities. Momentum swings mm. back and forth, especially with the stakes. Maybe you don't need to take a position pregame. Maybe we get an early touchdown and you and I get an even better number on the under. Something like that is, yeah. is very much possible here in a game where, yeah. look, I mean, let's be honest, a, a lot of these guys have not been in this type of atmosphere. These are not two teams that, you know, regularly make the playoffs. So, yeah. and if, obviously you've got Herbert, who, you know, is a, is a pretty young quarterback in the NFL. So, there's also that, you know, could be some nerves early on in this game. So maybe some live betting opportunities could make sense too. Weirdly enough, a bet I have never made on the Chargers, but I've wanted to, and I've kind of been monitoring, even though I hadn't made it, was for them to basically go three and out in their first drive. Because it, there's there's that, or you can bet them to score a field goal or a touchdown, and you would not believe how many times they go three and out on that first drive. So maybe this is the game where I finally look to that if I want to bet that under as well. But thank you, Adam Burke. As always, you are you are a wealth of knowledge, and you can find him on Twitter at Skating Tripod. You can see him in the Los Angeles Times. He's all over vcin.com. Adam Burke, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Daniel. All right, coming up, NBA action. We have the Lakers and the Clippers to talk about. That's all coming up next on the Los Angeles CityCast, presented by Bet River Sportsbook. Looking for a hot tip to bet on? Check out the new match tips at Bet River Sportsbook. The new tips feature gives you special insights on player props and match bets for the top tips of the day. Go to Bet Rivers before the game, find your match, and tap the tips icon to see independent research on recent team and player performance. Bet with confidence. Visit the Bet Rivers mobile app or go to betrivers.com and get the top tips of the day. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Playable only in states where Bet Rivers is licensed and in New Jersey at Play Sugar House. 
Welcome back into the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bet River Sportsbook. I'm your host, Danielle Alvari. Let's talk about Thursday night in the NBA real quick. The Clippers were in action versus the Suns, but not really because the Clippers are missing so many people. How can you call this the Clippers team uh, that we know and love? At least some of us do. And I'm not one of those. I don't know why I said it like I was, but I am a Clippers fan when they actually have, you know, a semblance of a team out there. And unfortunately right now, they've just been decimated by COVID and injuries, much like a lot of other teams, the Hawks. We'll get into them in a moment because they're taking on the Lakers. But it was tough to bet on this game. I talked about this in the pod on Wednesday that this was nearly unbettable because the Suns were also missing a couple key players as well. They did have Chris Paul and Devin Booker in the mix, but they didn't even end up being the biggest problem really for the Clippers. They didn't need to be. They let Cameron Johnson, st- they stood back and let him take over 24 points, seven rebounds, a big game for him. He's been, you know, contributing a lot more to that team as well. And then Marcus Morris Sr. actually led the points for the Clippers, 26 points, eight rebounds. I was surprised. I thought that would be Reggie Jackson, but uh, makes sense. Morris just been having to kind of step up lately with all of the turnover and, and Batum out, Zubak, Jay Scrub, Luke Kennard. Oh my God. Uh, so, it's just been tough times, tough times all over sports, but tough times for the Clippers, especially uh, they were 11 point dogs in this. They lost 106 to 89. Uh, so could not even get the cover out of this. Um, and it makes sense because the Suns are a really good team. We talked about this third and efficiency, dif- excuse me, third and efficiency differential. That's what I was trying to say there. Uh, and so it makes a lot of sense that uh, the Clippers had so much trouble against them, basically. It's pretty cut and dry. And I did say that the only time I don't like to bet an under on a Clippers game is when they play a really solid offensive team, the Suns offense, sixth in points per 100 possessions. So not a time that I wanted to play the under. I didn't, but the under still hit. And that is also probably related to the fact that we're seeing so many players out of the mix, right? And sometimes you think maybe we'll see garbage time and tons of points running up the board, but I think more often than not, we see less scoring because there's just chaos and that's to be said as well. And, and maybe you chalk it up to the Suns defense as well, because that is, is stellar as well. Second in opponents points per hundred possessions, fifth in opponent effective field goal percentage. So all in all, it, it kind of adds up. It kind of makes sense that uh, this is how this shook out, but it's impossible to predict in the current state of things with all of the fun monkey wrenches we have thrown into everything right now. But nevertheless, let's talk about the Lakers Friday action Hawks at Lakers. The Lakers actually yet to win four games in a row this season, but just got above 500 again. They're 20 and 19 now, and they have a chance to win a fourth game in a row versus the Hawks on Friday. And that would also mean that they could pass the Mavs for fifth place in the Western Conference. The Mavs are 20 and 18 right now. Hawks right now, 9 and 11 on the road. That's straight up. And the Lakers, 13 and 10 at home. But both teams, Hawks and Lakers, are 4 and 6 in their last 10 games. Been very uneasy, let's say. They've both been dealing with a lot of issues, whether it be injuries or COVID, similar to what we were just talking about with the Clippers, similar to everything in sports right now. Uh, but the Hawks especially have been dealing, really been really been hitting hard with this. Um, John Collins, uh, Bogdanovich, Jalen Johnson, they all cleared health and safety protocols. So that is a step in the right direction for this Hawks team. Good to get those players back. But so many players listed as questionable for the Hawks on Friday. Cam Reddish has right ankle soreness, probable. Um, and as I said, John Collins returning. But Jalen Johnson... 
return to competition, reconditioning, that kind of thing. Trey Young is day-to-day. -day. He's listed as questionable. He'll probably go, but keep an eye on that because you never know. He's got a low back contusion. And then Chris Clemens, health and safety protocols, Gorgi Ding, Solomon Hill, DeAndre Hunter, Cameron Oliver, all health and safety protocols all are going to be out. Now, if you look at these teams side-by-side, side, the Hawks offense, second in points per 100 possession. This is an offense that can score. They're 13th in effective field goal percentage and first in turnover percentage, which means they're not giving the ball over a lot on those possessions. So that's all good. If you look at the defense, it is like it shouldn't even be on the same coin. 27th in opponent's points per 100 possession, so just about last. 25th in opponent's effective field goal percentage and 30th in forced turnover. So they're not they're not creating a lot of offense that way either. So 18th overall in their efficiency differential, right? Really, really strong offense, which paired next to this Lakers offense, which has improved. It's important to note that this has improved. It was 25th in points per 100 possessions just recently, just as soon as maybe two weeks ago, a week ago, and now up to 23rd in points per 100 possessions. It's trending in the right direction, and one of those players that I think has been a big contributing factor to that has been Malik Monk. I talked about this when I was on Rush Hour, which is a show um, also sponsored by Bet Rivers. It's on VSIN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. I was on Tuesday with Danny Burke, the host of the Chicago City Cast, and also host of Rush Hour. Now we're all caught up, right, on all the programming. <laughs> On the show, we talked about this game, uh, the Lakers' most recent game on Tuesday, and I said that I took Malik Monk over 16.5 points uh, because he had just recently kind of emerged as as this new uh, kind of hot hand, a good piece of this offense that was going to be able to take some of that burden off of LeBron James, and it looked like LeBron was trusting him with that a lot more. Um, and I noticed because in the game previous to that, I believe Sunday, I had LeBron's points prop over 30 and a half or 31 and a half, I believe. And he only had 26 points that game. I said, who took that away from him? It was Malik Monk. And it was him distributing the ball to Malik Monk, really. And you're not expecting Malik Monk to get a lot of assists or be distributing the ball. He's pretty much going to be a catch and shoot shooter for them. They actually play off of each other very well. Um, I actually saw one writer refer to it kind of in a similar way that you maybe would, I mean, kind of a stretch here to, I mean, you should not compare these two, but just in terms of how they work together, LeBron and Kyrie almost, a similar kind of way that they work well off of each other in that way. So uh, Malik Monk over 16 and a half points is what I went with the next game. That cashed easily. He had 24 points in that game. He's had 20 or more points in four of his last six. So I'm expecting that trend to kind of continue because they need to get offense from somewhere. And it is going in the right direction. So why, you know, why would you change it? Also, uh, Russell Westbrook, as we know, had no turnovers in their most recent game. Uh, we'd like to keep that going. And so I think the best way to do that is is probably just to not give him the opportunity to turn it over as much, unfortunately so. So... Lakers offense moving in the right direction. And I will say 10th and effective field goal percentage. So thank you, LeBron. Um, Lakers defense on the other side, 18th in opponents points per 100 possessions, 12th in opponents effective field goal percentage, and 6th in uh, turnover percentage. So forced turnovers for the, year, uh, for the Lakers. So the defense was kind of the part that was preventing them from completely toppling over so far with all of these problems they've been having and issues of people missing. Um, but lately the offense has started to kind of hit its stride a little bit. Again, nothing like 
stellar to write home about necessarily, but at least starting to kind of be more efficient. Um, overall, Lakers 22nd in their efficiency differential. And that, I mean, just speaks to what we've seen for the last couple of weeks of them is just complete inconsistency, um, just even within the lineup. So with all that said, I think Malik Monk and LeBron are this offense right now. They combined to drop 25 points in the fourth quarter alone of the last game. So um, I don't play props very often unless I see one that I think, wow, I have to slam that. And I did that with this Malik Monk one the other night. That was great. Um, I'd love to see where that points prop number is going to land for this Hawks game. But as far as the spread is concerned, the Lakers are two and a half point favorites. And this Hawks team is absolutely decimated. The total is 225 and a half. Tell me why I shouldn't bet an over in this game. Is it because the Hawks don't have enough players to score a ton of points like their stats would tell me or their their rankings would tell me that they should be able to? Because Lakers minus two and a half seems like such an obvious, obvious play here. Um, and even an overplay, but not. I don't like the overplay more than I like the side here. I don't usually bet <laughs> pregame on NBA right now, especially with so many variables up in the air. We don't know what Trey Young's status is either, so he's questionable, probable, whatever. Uh, but definitely look into that because if that's like for sure he's going, then I wonder if that moves this at all or if this is assuming that Trey Young is definitely going. Um, but for me, Lakers two and a half might be a pregame play, but I think I'm too, <laughs> too I'm too stubborn to play you know, lay points at the Lakers because I know that I'll get an opportunity where I get some points with them. It's just been like, it's been the most profitable way to play the Lakers so far is to fade them or to um, get them in game, get them live and Lakers live. Like we talked about on Wednesday show. If you listened, it's all about LA live right now, but two and a half is tempting. And against this really, really depleted Hawks team. Yes. They're getting a couple players back. Um, Two and a half seems like a no-brainer. So I hope I don't live to regret that one. Uh, we'll see, though. We'll see. I'll be back, as always. You guys can give me a hard time about it on Twitter, at Danielle Alvari. You can always do that. Uh, make sure you leave a rating, like the pod, follow the pod, share the pod, embrace the pod. Thank you so much, you know, for just listening, actually, to the pod. That's really all I need you guys to do. Um, new shows three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And as always, I'll be back for more fun and games on Monday after week 18 of the NFL. I can't believe we made it, guys. We did it. We made it. Come on back for more of the Los Angeles CityCast presented by BetRiver Sportsbook. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.